We all make mistakes, yes? We all have flubbed up. Now, don't miss this. Just because we make mistakes, just because we might have a pro propensity to maybe fall short of our own expectations or maybe things don't always go the way that we want them to, it does not mean that we should not try to avoid them, right? Uh, I think the beauty of having made mistakes is the fact, the fact that you're here, the fact that you're tuning in online tells me that you're a survivor. You're still breathing, right? You've been marked by your mistakes. You've hopefully learned from maybe some of your mistakes, but that hasn't kept you down, so to speak. You're here, I'm here, and we want to keep moving. And so how do you keep moving and, and uh, at the same time try to not repeat those mistakes that we've made. Well, today we're going to look at four mistakes or four follies that I think you and I would be wise to shun. And so if you're taking notes in your Palm Harvest app, or if you're old school and just have a piece of paper or a notebook, here's the first folly that we're going to talk about and I encourage you to look for in our Bible verses. And that is this. Folly number one is believing the lie that physical strength always wins. That's a folly. Physical strength does not always win. And so we would be wise to avoid believing that physical strength always wins. So look at verse 5 here in Proverbs chapter 24 at what we're told. King Solomon, who's writing these words, says, The wise are mightier than the strong, and those with knowledge grow stronger and stronger. Look at that first phrase again. The wise are mightier than the strong. Okay, so keep that in mind. The wise are mightier and strong. Now in your Bibles, if you can, skip back to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 5. So Samuel's towards the beginning of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Worth, uh, Ruth, uh, Ruth, and then 1 Samuel, okay? And then 2 Samuel follows 1 Samuel and go to chapter 5 of the book of 2 Samuel. Now here in chapter 5 of 2 Samuel, what we're about to read is a story that involves David of, of Goliath fame. David's now the new king of Israel. We're told in verse four, if you look at it, that, that, that David's 30 years old when he begins his, his kingship. And by this point in, in David's life, as most of you probably know, David has already sort of garnished the reputation of being a very effective military leader, right? With tremendous, uh, wartime sort of experience. And so not surprisingly, as we're going to see here in, in 2 Samuel chapter 5, David begins his, his kingship, his tenure as a king, which we're told also in verse, 40, uh, verse 4 that lasts for 40 years. He begins by going into battle against his enemies who are waging war against him. And so look at verse 17 of 2 Samuel chapter 5. This is what we read. Let me just find it here. Second chapter 5, verse 17. Picture scene in your mind. So when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king of Israel, they mobilized all their forces to capture him. But David was told they were coming, so he went into the stronghold. The Philistines arrived and spread out across the valley of Rephaim. So David asked the Lord, should I go out to fight the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? The Lord replied to David, yes, go, and I will certainly hand them 
over to you. So David went to Baal, to Baal Perizim and defeated the Philistines there. The Lord did it, David exclaimed. Okay, now skip down to verse 22. After a little while, the Philistines returned and again spread out across the valley of the Rephaim. And again, David asked the Lord what to do. do and God says, do not attack them straight on. Instead, circle around behind and attack them near the poplar trees. When you hear the sound, a sound like marching feet in the top of the poplar trees, be on the alert. That will be the signal that the Lord is moving ahead of you to strike the Philistine army. So David did what the Lord commanded and he struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibeon to Gezer. Now church, don't miss this. Here in the story, we can see the truth that God does not always work the same way. Just because God may do something in your life, maybe you're praying about something and he answers your prayer or he, he does some kind of a miracle in your life one way does not necessarily mean that he's gonna do it the same way the second time here. You know, here in this Bible story for this first battle, God tells David and his troops to lead the charge, right? But in the second battle, God told David to what? To wait, right? Wait until you hear the sound of marching boots in the trees. Now, what's significant of marching boots? With the second battle, who's now going first? It's not David and his men, right? But rather who? It's God. God is going before him. God has, and his army are, are, are leading the charge. Now, you can't see them. You know, there's no visible chariots or, or soldiers or, you know, swords and shields. There's no sign of any horses. But that doesn't mean that God is absent. That doesn't mean that David and his men are all alone. So church, I think the message here in 2 Samuel chapter 5 as well as Proverbs chapter 24 is don't believe the lie that physical strength always wins. Because spiritual strength, as illustrated here in 2 Samuel chapter 5, will always defeat the physical. God's strength, God's authority and power, God's activity will overmatch anyone. Do you believe that? In fact, somebody say amen to that. You know, when God is on your side, when God is on my side, it, it, it's lights out, isn't it? In fact, write this sentence down somewhere uh, in, your, in your notes. No circumstance is too big for God. Let that sink in. No circumstance is too big for God. You know, I wonder if any of you have ever faced a situation in your life where that felt hopeless. You know, you're here today, you survived, God's brought you through it. Maybe some of you are in a place like that right now. You know, I've learned in life, and I suspect that maybe many of you have too, is that things often feel worse than they actually are. Things often feel more over, overwhelming, perhaps, than what is actually true. You know, the devil wants you and me to feel overwhelmed. The devil wants you and me to feel fearful. But the Bible remind, writer reminds us here that when God is on our side, we hold the upper hand because no circumstance, brothers and sisters, is too big for God. 
You know, the hard part is, is when you and I have to wait on God, right? The hard part is when we find ourselves in the middle of the battle and the troops are gathered and they're lined up on the battlefield and they've got their swords and they're making lots of noise and the swords are clashing and they're like, oh my gosh, you know, what am I going to do? That's when it's hard to wait, when they're threatening our security. But brothers and sisters, I want you to let this truth sink in really deep again in your heart and your spirit is that with God's on our side, with God's help, no circumstance is too big. And therefore, we need to shun the folly of believing the lie that physical strength always wins. In fact, let's just pause for a prayer right now in this moment, okay? So again, take a deep breath. Have you been doing it all morning? Just kind of relax and center yourself. Inhale, and then exhale. <sighs> Hands open, heart open, mind open. Pray this in your heart. Just say, Heavenly Father, please help me to trust you. Today, in this moment, God, right now, please help me to trust you. Trust you with my stuff. Trust you with my kids. Trust you with my loved ones. Trust you with my work, my relationships. God, in this moment, help me to trust you. Good. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Okay, good. I want you to look at one more passage of Scripture before we get back to Proverbs 24. Go forward two books. So after 2 Samuel, you have 1 Kings, and then I want you to turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. Okay? 2 Kings chapter 6. And once you find chapter 6, uh, skip down to verse 8. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8. Picture the scene in your mind. When the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he would confer with his officers and say, we will mobilize our forces at such and such a place. But immediately, Elisha, the man of God, he was a prophet in that day, would warn the king of Israel, do not go near that place for the Arameans are planning to mobilize their troops there. So the king of Israel would send word to the place indicated by the man of God Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he would be on the alert there. The king of Aram became very upset over this. He called his officers together and demanded, which of you is the traitor? Who has been informing the king of Israel of my plans? It's not us, my lord, the king, one of the officers replied. Elisha the prophet in Israel tells the king of Israel even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. Go and find out where he is, the king commanded, so I can send troops to seize them. The report came back. Elisha is at Dotham, verse 14. So one night, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning, now many of the prophets of this day had staff, right? People to help be on his team who would help kind of service the, the activities of, of his duties. And in this case, Elisha apparently has this man, uh, I don't know if it's Gehazi who he, who's mentioned later, but certainly a young man who's there and he goes out, he's getting ready for the day and he opens, opens kind of the doors, looks out the window, verse verse 15 and says there were troops and horses and chariots everywhere he sees oh sir what will we do now the young man cried to Elisha by the way that's what Brett and Kelly are saying right now is Caitlin think as you know you're thinking about getting your driver's license right oh my gosh what are we going to do now right 
Oh, sir, what will we do now? The, the, the young man cried to Elisha. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him. For there are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots, chariots of fire. Let's stop there, okay? Brothers and sisters, we're reminded again here in this Bible story that no circumstance is too big for God, yes? You know, I don't know what, some of the, what battles some of you might be facing right now. But what I do know and what I do invite you to, to choose to believe and invite you to believe, because I certainly do, is that when God is on your side, there is hope. Amen. You know, do you believe that God is at work even when you can't see him at work? We see here, clearly God had his soldiers. He had his armies. He had these, these resources that were all around Elisha protecting him. You just couldn't see him with your eyes. Church, shun the folly of believing that physical strength always wins because it doesn't. So let's pray a prayer, another prayer, and then we'll go on to folly number two. Okay, so hands open, heart open, mind open. I invite you to pray this prayer with you and I'm gonna lead you, okay? To Heavenly Father, I honor you today and I proclaim this truth that your capacity supersedes anything and everything. So Jesus, please help me to live with my eyes on you. Please protect my heart from the folly of believing that physical strength always wins. Because God, declare this, say, God, you are stronger than everyone. You created the world and everything in it. So God, I'm, I'm confessing today and I'm proclaiming today my conviction that no circumstance is too big for you. And so Father, in this moment today, I ask that you would give me confidence in my heart and help me to live today to remember that you are always with me. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and everybody said, Amen. Good. Folly number two. We've talked about this second folly in a number of weeks uh, of this series, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But today's folly, folly number two, is what I call independent decisions. Independent <clears throat> decisions. Look at verse six here in Proverbs chapter 24. We're told, don't go to war without wise guidance. Victory depends... <clears throat> on having many advisors. You know, again, I commend you for being here today and those of you who are tuning in online today because, you know, we talked about we need each other, yes? Would you agree with that? You know, you need me and I, and I need you. I sharpen you and you sharpen me. You know, one of the purposes of the church, you know, we talk again, the church is not a building, the church is what? It's people. It's people, you're the church, I'm the church. And one of the purposes of the church is for us to do life together. It's so important for us to come. Sometimes you may feel like you're having a really great week and you don't need to come, but you know what? You're not coming just for you, you're coming for the people who are also here because they might need you in their life. They might need your hug today. If you need a hug, make sure you see Elizabeth because she's got lots of hugs, yeah? 
We need each other. We need to be here for one another. Friends, beware of solo living. You know, from the very beginning of creation, God created humanity to be in community. What did God say after creating Adam? He said, it's not good for man to be what? Alone. We need each other. And according to the wisdom of the Bible, a folly to shun is making decisions in a vacuum. Making decisions without input from others. You know, we've talked about this before. We all have blind spots. Would you agree with that? You, know, you have strengths that I don't have, and I probably have strengths that, that you don't have, which means we can't be great at everything. And so when trying to make a decision, you know, make sure you garnish the input of, of people. I'll often ask the question, I was just at a group last night, and I said, what am I not seeing here? You know, what are you seeing that I'm not seeing? Because clearly your perspective is different. You have different experiences. You have different hardships that I've never experienced. So what are you seeing that I'm not seeing? What am I missing here as I try to make a decision? Now, brothers and sisters, you may not follow the decision or the input of the people. I'm not saying you always have to follow the input that people give you, but it, you just need, it, you are wise to at least get it, to get a different perspective. I'm always asking my staff and, and the board, and I, I talk about this a lot, is like, just don't always agree with me. What I need to hear from you. Push back on this. And Beto and David are getting pretty good at it. You know? They're pretty good. But I like that. You know? But at the end of the day, you know, sometimes you say, this is going to be. You know? But thank you for your input. Because it's, it's, it shapes us, right? So shun the folly of independent decisions. Okay, so enough on that. Folly number three. A third folly that we need to be on our guard against, according to a verse here that we're going to verses here in Proverbs chapter 24, is the folly of what I call social complacency. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not very good at this one, okay? This might be a folly I commit a little bit. Um, I'm still learning on this, so that's good. I have, I have place to mature. But beware of the folly of social complacency. Look at verse 11. We're told, rescue those who are unjustly sentenced to die. <clears throat> Save them as they stagger to death. Don't excuse yourself by saying, look, we didn't know, for God understands all hearts and he sees you. He who guards your soul knows you knew he will repay all people as their actions deserve. You know, I think Jesus summed it up best when he taught love your neighbor as who? As yourself, right? And so in other words, brothers and sisters, if you see someone being wronged, do something. Don't just watch. You know, last weekend, I uh, had the opportunity to interview here at, at Palm Harvest uh, Police Chief Ronald Lawrence. And for the, hopefully you, many of you were here. Hopefully those of you who weren't got a chance to watch the, the conversation. If you haven't watched it yet, I encourage you to. But one of the, the one of the questions I wanted to ask Chief Lawrence, and I never got to twice. I, I wanted to bring it up, but our conversation was kind of going in a different direction, and I just thought, ah, you know, maybe I'll get I'll get to it. But we never did. Was the whole issue of kind of social media and how uh, what kind of pressures that places on our our first responders. You know, over the last several years, on, on too many occasions, I've, I've witnessed and I've watched video footage, and I suspect many of you have too, of a crime being committed against another person. But rather than the bystanders stepping in and helping, what do they do? 
they stand back with their phone and, and they film it, right? And I'm like, what, what, what's wrong with that? I saw a video the other day of, of, of a guy getting murdered and there were people just standing around watching. It was just unbelievable. That's why I was watching it because someone was standing there with their phone filming it. And in so doing, they are committing, in my opinion, the sin of social complacency, the folly of social complacency. You know, church, the Bible writer challenges you and me to get our hands messy. You know, when you see a need, don't just wait for somebody else to do something. You do something. You know, a lot of times you will notice a need and, and, and you'll, you'll say, I wonder why nobody else is doing anything. It's because nobody else notices it. But God has uniquely wired you to notice it. And so the invitation for you is not to wait for somebody else to step in. The invitation is for God for you to say, for you to step in. I don't know, maybe I'm just a Midwest kid with Midwest values. But in, in, in the church, Jesus really models for us and taught about the importance of being other-focused. So here's a question for you to ponder today, and maybe just this week, is where has God been poking you? Anything come to mind? You know, where, where has God been saying, yeah, hey, have you noticed this over here? And you just kind of go, yeah, and then you, dis, you dismiss it. You know, what needs in your world do you see going unaddressed? And what's holding you back from, from rolling up your sleeves? You know, church, it seems like King Solomon is saying, don't tell me what you can't do. Show me what you can do. You know, I will frequently just carry, and I know I've shared this with you before, and, and, and there's a, a long reason behind this, and we can go into, into it uh, off campus and off camera if, if you want, but I'll oftentimes just carry uh, healthy protein bars in the console of my, my car when I'm driving, even my motorcycle. And when I pull up to a, an intersection and there's someone standing on the corner saying, you know, please help, you know, I'm, I'm hungry, uh, rather than give them a dollar bill or something, I'll just reach in and grab this protein bars. Many times it's going to be my lunch and I'll just hand it to him because I know it's nutritious. At least I'm doing something. Right? At least do something. You notice it, do something. But you say, Pastor Mike, I'm too old. No, you're not too old. You know how old Moses was when God called him to lead the nation of Israel? Anybody know? He was 80 years old, not 400, but close, <laughs> 80 years old. You say, Mike, I, I don't have, I have money. Well, so there's a lot of people who do have money. Friends, if you have a dream, share it. You think Paul Marvers Church, you think Robin and I pay the bills for Paul Marvers Church solely? No way. We, we, we're all on this together. And I've learned in life that God has given some people the tremendous capacity to make a lot of money. I had a friend of mine, he's no longer a part of this church, but I said, we were talking about it. He said, am I wrong to be wanting to pursue real estate and all these business adventures? And I said, no, because you're a tremendous philanthropist. And God has wired you with this business savvy to make money so that you can support those of us who maybe don't have that same proclivity. So, because I want to teach the word. 
I want to be involved in the community. But together with your generosity and my sort of, your skill set and my skill set, we can do something. So don't ever let money keep you from venturing into doing what God might be placing upon your heart. Because chances are someone's been saying, Lord, I have all this money. How can I get involved? I need, an, I need somebody. And then they bring you together. Can somebody say amen to the truth of that? You know, when Rob and I were in seminary, we went to seminary, this master's degree, right? I, I got two master's degrees. You know how much money we, we made every month? $600 a month. I went to three and a half years of post-college schooling and we graduated with no debt. That paid for our rent, paid for our food. Every time Robin would get a substitute teaching job, the car would break down and then that would pay for that. But God provided, he brought other people say, you know what, I can't be a pastor, I can't preach, but I can, I can help support you, I can sponsor you. And there were, I would get these, these notes from the office at, at the seminary, say, hey, so-and-so, this, who I would learn later, you know, you know say, 75-year-old farmer's widow had given $50 to help sponsor a young pastor who wanted to go into the ministry. Me, Robin and I. Thank you so very much for being a part of my team. Right? Don't ever let money keep you from doing what God wants you to do. So with God's help, when you see something, recognize that no circumstance is too big for God to get involved. And in so doing, with his help, as you get going, you will avoid the folly of what I call social complacency. Okay, last point. Folly number four. The final folly that the Bible warns us to be on guard against, really to be, uh, to shun, is the folly of what I call backward priorities. Backwards priorities. Look at verse 27. We're said, told, do your planning and prepare your fields after building your house. Is that what it says? says, No. Do your planning, prepare your fields before planting your house. That'll make more sense in a second. Go down to verse 30. So I walked by the field of a lazy person, the vineyard of one with no common sense. I saw that it was overgrown with nettles. It was covered with weeds and its walls were broken down. Then as I looked and thought about it, I learned this lesson. A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. Go to Proverbs chapter 14 real quick. One verse and then we'll wrap things up. Proverbs 14 verse 4. I want you to look at a verse, and it really reinforces kind of what Solomon is saying here in verse chapter 24, okay? Proverbs 14, verse 4, this is what we're told. So without oxen, you know what oxen are, right? These big farm animals. Without oxen, he says, a stable stays clean, but you need a strong ox for a large harvest, okay? Without oxen... A stable stays clean, but you need a strong ox for a large harvest. Now, what does this mean? Friends, oxen are messy. They're messy. They're big animals, which means they eat a lot, which means they do what a lot? They create a lot of manure. 
poop. Now, you have, you have two options if you want to keep your stall clean as a farmer, right? This is what he's telling us. He said, you can get rid of the oxen, right? Or you can roll up your sleeves and you can scoop the poop. Now, the wise farmer scoops the poop, doesn't he? Because the wise farmer knows that while it's true that no oxen means no dirty, no oxen means a clean stall, the unintended consequence of no dirty is no field work. And no field work means there's no crops. And no crops means there's no harvest. And no harvest means there's no food or money for you and your family. Oxen are messy. Work is messy. But according to Solomon here in Proverbs chapter 24, work is the path towards God's blessing. Now hear me clearly on this. Jesus modeled the importance of taking a vacation. I think it's Matthew 5 verse 16. I think that, I'm pretty sure that's the verse. You know, we're told where Jesus often withdrew to out of the way lonely places to pray, right? To refresh himself, to, to you know, we talked about that last week, didn't we, with Chief Lawrence? Taking time off and enjoying yourself is not a sin. But hear me clearly on this. According to the scriptures, taking a vacation comes after what? After work. Do your work and then play. Not the other, round. No, other way around. That's backwards priority. Because backwards priorities, according to the counsel of the Bible, will lead to poverty. Laziness leads to bad consequences. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't be lazy. Work hard. Pay your dues. And then enjoy the fruits of your labors. I want to tell a story. Do we have time? You guys want a story? It's kind of a rabbit trail story. Can we do it? Can we tell you a rabbit story? Back to my, our seminary. So we entered seminary. Our, job, our goal was, you know, you know, many of you know the history. Robin had her teaching job. She was going to work full time. I was going to go to school full time. That was our plan. We get to Sioux Falls and there's no teaching job. I, I went to this interview at this church just because I wanted, I thought this would be a good experience to go to the, an interview. You know, I'm going to have to interview to be a pastor someday. And they ended up saying, hey, we want you to be our pastor. I'm like, oh, youth pastor and choir director because I would direct a choir. So and I said, okay, we'll do it. We'll do it. You know, and then it turned out to be an answer to prayer because Robin wasn't getting a job. And I, 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 we were driving 50 miles to Madison, South Dakota every week to, to be a part of this church ministry, which was an amazing experience. But when we were in seminary, we had a friend, Clarence and, and Williams, really good friends growing up, a guy by the name of Larry Moser. Have I ever told you a story about Larry Moser? So Larry Moser was from Napoleon, North Dakota. He was a pharmacist, a very astute businessman, still is to this day. And one of the things that Larry... As a pharmacist, if you, as a pharmacist, what do you deal with? Drugs. And so Larry uh, <clears throat> pulled Robin and I aside, him and Martha, and they said, hey, what are you guys doing? How are you, you know, uh, saving for the future? And we said, Larry, we make $600 a month, and our rent's like $235, and we're spending money on gas, and, you know, I got school to pay for and books. He said, here's my challenge to you. He said, I would challenge you to take $25 a month. Certainly, you're going to tithe on that $600. So that's 60 bucks off the top. 
and then take $25 if you can and buy a stock. And he said, here's three stocks I would recommend. Pick one of them. Bristol-Myers Squibb, which is a pharmaceutical. Eli Lilly, which is a pharmaceutical. Or Merck. So when I looked at the you know, New York Stock Exchange, Merck was selling for like $23 a share. I said, perfect, we get one share every. And he said, make sure you reinvest the dividend so you never really see it. The money goes out, you put the money in. Have I told you the story before? And uh, well, you're getting it now, I got time for it. And so for the three and a half years that we were at, at seminary, $25 a month would go into buying Merck and it would grow and it got to $150 a share and then it would split three to one. And then that's when it really starts to compound. It's the principle of compounding. So we eventually we land in, in Costa Mesa, California for a, a, a pastor's job. And so my you know, salary went from $7,800 a year to $21,000 a year. Bit of a pickup. So every month we started doing 25 and eventually we got to like $100. We were between 50 and $100 a month. Every month I would put and buy Merck stock. For 13 years, we did that. Three years in South Dakota, 10 years, almost 11 years, 14 years in, in, in Costa Mesa, California, until the time came for us to start Palm Harvest Church. Anybody want to guess what that $25 a month drew to over 13 years? $40,000. We sold the $40,000. We were able to put a down payment on our home. And now our home's worth what? Crazy amount of money on paper, right? But it's just, to me, it's just the, it was the principle of how work hard, play hard, but be smart. You know, you, you got to take, you got to sacrifice a little bit, Right? You sacrifice a little bit, you sacrifice a little bit, you sacrifice a little bit, you sacrifice a little bit. And over time, in God's help and presence, it can grow. And oftentimes, there's a, a reward at the end. And that's what he is telling us here. Laziness leads to bad consequences, but hard work. And listening to the advice of other people, thank you, Larry Moser. I don't know if you're watching today or not, but thank you for your support. Pay your dues and enjoy the fruits of your labors. Church, according to the teaching of Proverbs chapter 24, I'm wrapping it up. There are four follies to shun. Folly number one, shun the, the lie that physical strength always wins because it doesn't. With God, anything is possible. Shun number two, the, the, the folly of independent decisions. Thank the Lord that we listened to Larry and Martha Moser to invest. And now we listen to Lisa Banning who helps us. She's a coach for us. That's a big amen, Joe. You know, be proactive in soliciting the input of those other, who other people will give you. Honest, objective counsel. You don't, again, you don't always have to follow it, but at least get it. Shun independent decisions. And number three, shun social complacency. If you see something, say something. If you have an opportunity to help, do so. Don't fall prey to inactivity. And then following number four, guard yourself against backwards priorities. Work hard, then play hard. Work hard, play hard in that order. For this, brothers and sisters, is wisdom to live by. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you so very much for the way you work in our lives. 
You bring people in at just the right time to give us the advice that we need. And if we just listen to it and follow the experience of other people, not surprisingly, your hand of activities at work where we reap the benefit. Rob and I want to thank you for the home that you've provided for us. We pray that we continue to be good stewards of it for all of us who have homes. For our health, for the ability to work. Lord, thank you for that privilege. Father, we want to be wise. So please, we pray that as we, we, we ponder this week, the principles of this conversation, that you would increase our capacity to live with knowledge. Lord, I pray you favor upon those who are here today and upon those who are watching online. Bless them, I ask, abundantly. May their dreams that they have still birth in their heart, kind of just percolating there. With your help, God, may you bring them to fruition for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said...